We are officially in Christmas at New Hope. We are 15 days away from Christmas. Can you believe it? And um, I have a question. I just want to get us started. I need everybody to be honest in the room, okay? How many of you would say you love this time of the year? This is like, this is your time. You love everything about it. You just love the decorations and all the things and the cookies and Okay, cool. There are lots of you without your hands raised. Honestly, I feel you. It's funny because the other day I was um, listening to some Christmas music as one does around this season and um, a popular song came on. Many of you guys know it. It's called It's the Most Wonderful Time of the Year. Everybody know that song? And I was listening to it and as I was listening to it, this is how I know I'm getting older because I was listening to what this singer was saying is the most wonderful time of the year, the things that you do. It's like caroling and people coming over and kids with jingle bells. And the more I started thinking about it, the more I was like, this sounds exhausting. Um, this song, I'm like, this actually feels like what it, and I don't know if it is the most wonderful time of the year. Um, he says a line in there, it's the happiest season of all. And I wonder if so many of us in this season, we get trapped in how Christmas is kind of presented to us um, and, and that maybe we have so much expectation around this season uh, because of just some of the things that we see, right? I was thinking about, you know, the commercials or TV and movies that are Christmas oriented, right? It's like, it's like every single one, it's like the family's together, everybody's getting along. There might be a little bit of conflict, it's resolved, you know, and everybody's sitting by the fire at the end, loving each other and everybody's happy. And um, I just am like, that seems like a, it's a lot of expectation there, you know? Or um, how about when you get on social media? How many of you are on social media at this time of the year and you just inevitably, you get that one person on your account who has decorated their house beautifully. I mean, stunning, it's gorgeous. Um, they even have the wrapping paper to match all their decorations. And then they have the kids that match the wrapping paper, that match the decorations. And I'm like, wow, how did you guys do pull that off? Um, it just feels like, sometimes it just can feel like there's a lot of expectation in this season for it to be something or to appear to be something that maybe it's not really for some of us. I was, as I was getting ready for today, this morning, I actually thought about a memory I had. I haven't thought about this in a long time. This is true story. About 17, 16 years ago now, I was 19, almost 20. It was the Christmas season and my mom's friend came over and she invited my mom and I to a cookie, de a Christmas cookie um, exchange party at her mother's house. This is a party that they had been doing for decades and um, she wanted to invite me and my mom over to it and I was like immediately like, there's no way I'm going to a Christmas cookie exchange party. I was 19, you know, I had better things to do. Um, how many of you have ever been to a Christmas cookie exchange party? Um, yeah, not many of us, but God bless you if you have and um, especially God bless you if you've hosted one. I had no idea what that was until my mom was like, oh yeah, yeah, we'll come, you know? And I was like, who's gonna make these cookies? Because I know she wasn't and I, was, I wasn't a baker, you know? And my mom was like, no, you can do it, it's fine. And her friend was like, yeah, you got it. And I'm like, okay. The party was in a couple of weeks. You know, it's one of those, you put it off until you have to do it. Well, it was a couple days before the party and I guess I needed to 
bake some cookies. And so I started asking my mom, hey, where are the details on this party? She's like, I don't know, can you ask my friend? So I texted her friend, called her friend, and was like, hey, just wanna know how many cookies do I bring? 12, 24, just let me know, I can bring 24. She was like, actually, you bring eight dozen. And I was like, oh, come again? You bring eight dozen um, because the goal of this is to swap with every other person that's coming. And you wanna make sure you bring your recipe card in case people like your cookies and they wanna recreate them. And I'm like, I'm not a baker, what is happening? And so I spent, you know, day, well, hours really, I didn't have days, combing the internet about what I could actually get away with. And I landed on a sugar cookie because I thought you can't ruin that. And come to find out, you can. If you are inaccurate in your measuring, you can actually ruin a sugar cookie. I did in case you were wondering. Um, they tasted just like flour. <laughs> um, and then I was like, well, since I'm only doing a sugar cookie, I'll make it in the shapes of snowmen and I'll decorate them, that's fine. No one tells you that when you bake cookies and you're gonna decorate them, you have to wait for the cookies to cool because if you don't, the icing melts. Didn't know that. So I made, I iced warm cookies with snowmen faces and you can imagine what they look like when I got done. And I was like, I didn't know what to do. At this point, it was too late. Mom was like, you have to put those in the thing. And I was like, okay, I guess. Eight dozen of them went with me. And um, so we get to this party and I, it, it is true, they have been doing this for decades because I was the youngest person in the room by far. Um, I was 19 and I walked in and I also didn't know that I was going to be with world-renowned bakers who were baking things that I didn't even know you could do with sugar and flour. And so they were like, here's your space, you'll put your cookies here. And I'm like, I don't know if you, if you want these. And I'm like happy to tell everybody, like see what had happened was, it was like there were faces and I know that there are black swirls in the, the snowman and um, really that was his eyes and ears and noses and you know, just all the things. And so I put them down and I go into the other room. Lots of people were chatting and I found my, this space and I sat down and this older lady was talking to me and she was asking me, so what do you do? Well, I got nervous because I'm flustered at this point and I'm 19, so when you're 19, you have no idea what you're doing. Um, and I told her that I was in college. I didn't know what I was doing at the time because I didn't know what my major was. And um, then I felt insecure about what I told her. Like, I'm in college, I don't really know what my major is. I'm starting to tear up at this point, you know? And um, I was like, but I work with the youth in my church. I'm a youth leader, I forgot to tell you that, you know? I just started becoming a youth leader right here at New Hope. And um, so I thought, well, she'll think that's great. And um, well, she did think that was wonderful, except for when she heard me, because we just were miscommunicating. By the time I got to the third or fourth person that I was meeting, somebody came up to me and said, oh, I heard you're the youth pastor at New Hope. And I was like, what? I, I'm, and I'm trying to explain, actually, no, I just, I'm, I'm leading youth. And she didn't understand what I said. And everybody was like, oh yeah, come meet the youth pastor. Before you know it, it was like, everybody was around me. I'm like, why do you think they would instate a 19 year old youth pastor? I'm like, there's surely no way. And so finally, because everybody was talking about it, I was like, yeah, I guess I am. <laughs> Here I am. <laughs> it's hard work what I do. Um, and so the party's going, I cannot wait for it to be done. It feels like the longest two and a half, three hours of my life. Finally, it seemed like it was winding down. I was so excited, me and my mom were gonna leave. And the lady who was hosting the party, which is my mom's friend's mom, was like, hey, time for the best part. We're gonna end our, our, our party just like we do every other year. And I'm thinking, okay, are we gonna pray and everybody's gonna head out? Like, I can do this, you know? And, She's like, let's all go to the deck. She had a really nice deck outside. And so I was like, okay. So I step on the deck and she said, okay, now we're gonna 
hold hands as we always do and sing some Christmas carols as we leave. And um, I don't know about you, but that's up in the top 10 of my worst nightmares, having to hold hands with people I don't know and sing to them. And so they started singing and we sang every song you could possibly sing about the birth of baby Jesus, which was nice. I didn't know a lot of the songs, but I was, you know, in my, just like holding hands, closing my eyes, because I can't look at anybody singing at me like that. And I'm just minding my own business when all of a sudden she's like, okay, well, we're gonna wind down. And I think to end this, we should ask the youth pastor to sing a song for us. And I was like holding my mom's hands, like who's this person that's gonna sing? My mom is like, that's you. And I look up and I realize, well, when you tell somebody that you're the youth pastor, that's what happens. And so I, true story, I went blank as one does. We had sang every song that there was. So holding hands with two people, I started on my own. This is all that came to me. Up on the housetop, reindeer paws. Santa Claus, I don't know the words. And all of a sudden, everybody's just looking at me like what, my mom is like, sing another song. I'm like, I have none, I have none. And all I kept thinking was, I just wanna go home. And I, the reason why I tell you that story is because I don't know about you, but the holidays are stressful. <laughs> like, if I could encapsulate how that party felt, sometimes it's how like the holidays feel. It's like, I have to go to a party I don't wanna go to and make things I don't wanna make and be with people I don't really know and it's hard and you know, everybody's doing awkward things and you just have to be there and have a good attitude about it. And at the end of the day, the holidays can be really stressful if we were honest about it. And I know that that's true because actually the other day, um, the American Psychological Association came out with a press release in November and this is what the heading was. I thought this was hilarious. It says nine in 10 US adults say that they are under stress during the holiday season. And I thought, well, that's actually the most honest thing I've read in a long time. <laughs> that means that 90% of us in this room, we're stressed out. Whether or not we're willing to admit it or say it or whether or not we've even taken enough time to feel it and know that that's what it is, we're stressed. And it's funny because this article, it surveyed 2000 Americans and found that these were the top causes of holiday stress. This is what they said. They said 58% of people say that financial concerns are the biggest stressor, either spending too much money or not having enough money to spend on gifts, not being able to buy what you need. 40% of people said that their stress comes from finding the right gifts, this pressure to like give the best and you know exactly what people want and will it come in time and the shipping. And 38% said the stress of missing family or loved ones. So this season, there's a lot of people in this room, even maybe who are experiencing grief, or maybe you know you're not gonna be able to be with your loved ones. That obviously causes stress around this time. 32% said having too much to do. I understand that, right? I've already gone to like two or three Christmas parties. I have two more this week. It's just, it's wild how many times we can celebrate this season. And it just can feel like there's so much on our plates. 30% um, said feeling pressure to make the holidays special. I know there's probably a lot of moms out here who feel that. It's like, I have to make it special for everybody. I have to make sure everybody gets what they want and what they like and everybody gets their gifts. And you know, it's this, this feeling of like trying to make it feel special. They're 22% said experiencing or anticipating family conflict, right? 20% said feeling left out, excluded or lonely. There's a lot of people in here, maybe that's you. You know what it feels like around this holiday season to, to really feel lonely, it's real. 19% said traveling 
If you've driven or flown recently, you understand this is a, definitely a stressor. And if we're not careful, the reason why I think this, interest, this article is so interesting is because if we're not careful, what can happen is this season will easily become something that it was never intended to be. We're all stressed out. I mean, studies have shown 90% of us, most of us in the room would probably be, would fall in here. We're stressed out about something. And in this season that's so beautiful and means so much, it can easily become something it was never intended to be, which is why I love this series that we're in, King Jesus. It's also why I love being in church in this season. Not because the decorations are nice, although they are, and seeing you is wonderful, and it always is, but because I don't know about you, but I know in a season like this, I need to, I need to be anchored in the fact that what we are celebrating is the fact that our Lord and Savior was born. That is the anchoring thing for all of us because we can get so far on the other side and this season could be, become something really big and really stressful and we forget what we're actually celebrating here. Because despite the noise, despite the distractions and the chaos that come with this season, we are celebrating the fact that our, our Savior was born. In fact, I love in Romans, it talks about the fact that God demonstrated his love for us and that while we were sinners, he sent his son to die on the cross for us. That is ultimately what we're celebrating. We're celebrating the birth of our Savior, but because we know what he's going to do, what he came to do, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And last week we laid the foundation in part one of King Jesus. And I'm gonna read our text verse. It's actually the same text verse that Pastor Reagan shared last week. I'm gonna focus on something a little different, but this is Pilate. So at this point, I'm, I'm gonna be reading from John 18. And Jesus has been turned over at this point by the Jewish leaders and they want him crucified and killed. And Jesus knows this is actually what he's come to do. And Pilate, the governor, starts having this interaction with Jesus. He's questioning him. And in John 18, 33 through 37, it says, then Pilate went back into his headquarters and called for Jesus to be brought to him. Are you the king of the Jews? He asked him. Jesus replied, is this your own question or did the others tell you about me? Am I a Jew, Pilate retorted? Your own people and their leading priests brought you to me for trial. Why, what have you done? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. If it were, my followers would fight to keep me from being handed over to the Jewish leaders, but my kingdom is not of this world. Pilate said, so you are a king. Jesus responded, you say I am a king. Actually, I was born and came into this world to testify to the truth. All who love the truth recognize that what I say is true. This interaction with Pilate and Jesus, I love this because Jesus is telling him, I am, I am king, I am king. And not only am I king, my kingdom has come, it's here. And here's what you need to know, my kingdom is not of this world. I know Pilate was worried that it was gonna conflict with the Roman, you know, the Roman guard and the Roman king and Jesus is letting him know, no, 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 you don't understand. My kingdom, what I'm about, actually has nothing to do with the things of this world. And so that's what we're gonna be talking about today. In fact, the title of my message this morning is called A Kingdom Mentality. Will you pray with me as we get started? Lord, we love you so much, God. You are good and you are king. And today we celebrate that. And Lord, we ask in these next few minutes that we have together, would you be in the midst of us? God, would you open our hearts to receive your word? Would our hearts be good soil? Would it bear fruit in our lives? 
We love you in Jesus' name, amen. So today what we're talking about, Pastor Reagan set us up so wonderfully last week with his message, All Hail the King. We talked about last week the fact that Jesus is King. What we're celebrating is the title of our series is that Jesus came as a king. This is what I love about what Pastor Reagan said last week, it was so good. He said, Jesus was king before he was born. He's always been a king. He was born a king, he died a king, he resurrected as a king. Nothing about his status changed. But what happened is, is when he was born as a king and he died as a king and resurrected as a king, our status is the one that changed. Because before Jesus came, we were separated from God. We didn't have a way to get to him. We were living under the law. And Jesus came and he brought forth this grace that now we had the ability to be in relationship with God through Jesus if we received that salvation. It's actually a really beautiful thing. It's our status that changed. I love how Paul talks about it. Paul in Colossians 1, 13 through 14, he says, for he has rescued us out of the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves and whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. I love what Paul is saying here because it's so simple. He has made the gospel very simple for us. What he says is before you were saved, before you received salvation, you were living in the kingdom of darkness. It was all about you and what life could get you. It was all about the world. It was all about the reign of the enemy in our lives. It was, we were void of God. And what happened is, is that God sent his son. He demonstrated his love, sent his son. And if we receive him through faith, then what happens is, is we are rescued out of that dark kingdom and we are now placed into the kingdom of God. Now that word rescued actually means snatched. There's this thing of like we're snatched up and now we're put into this kingdom of God. It's actually really amazing. This is one of my favorite things to talk about in church world. If you and I were like to sit down and have coffee, I think this would probably come up because I love this, I love talking about this so much because here's what I think happens so many times for us as Christians. We love the idea of salvation, being saved, that we once were in darkness and now we've been brought into the kingdom. And then what happens is for a lot of us is that we stop there. And while that's beautiful, it's incomplete because you weren't saved so that you can sit at the gates and wait. This isn't about like, we, because if that were the case, then you would be raptured the moment you got saved. If that was God's plan for you, then when you, the moment you got saved, he'd just take you straight to heaven, but he doesn't because he has good things in store for you. He has a kingdom he wants you to be a part of, and not only that, that he wants you to be active in. And so this is what we're talking about today. We have to have a kingdom mindset because here's the problem. What happens when we get saved is this beautiful miracle because instantaneously our hearts are changed. We were once hardened, our hearts were hardened towards him. We were without him and then he ruled, when we receive salvation, he's ruling and reigning in our hearts. And it's this beautiful miracle that happens because our hearts are instantaneously changed and it's just wonderful. But here's the problem, is even though our hearts, though it's changed, our minds are actually the same. So what happens is, is in a moment, we're snatched out of one kingdom and put into another, The problem is, is that we're still thinking and processing and deciding the same way we've always done. 
This is why Paul tells us in Romans 12 that we can't be conformed to the pattern of the world, but we have to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Because what happens is, even though there's an instantaneous thing that happens in our heart, you, although that's instantaneous, you also now are in a lifelong process of being transformed to look more and more like him, to be more and more like him, to understand his kingdom because you are now a kingdom citizen. If you have received salvation in this place, you are now a son and a daughter of God. It's the most beautiful thing that's happened. Now he places you in his kingdom and now you are a citizen of this kingdom. We now have to adopt a mindset that understands this kingdom. It's very important for us. In fact, I have a little bit of a working definition because if we are called to have a kingdom mindset, then maybe we should all collectively know what that is. I have a little definition, something I came up with. It says, a kingdom mindset is a fixed attitude and disposition ruled by God, which means his perspective, his will, his purpose, his plans, his desires, that decides in advance my response to a situation. Now, that seems really complicated. Let me tell you what this means. Having a kingdom mindset means that I understand I am going to develop a fixed attitude and way about me that is ruled by God. God gets to determine all of those things. How do we know those things? Well, we read his word. He tells us what those things are. So it, it's about his perspective, his will, his desire for us, his purpose. And we have this fixed mindset and disposition and that determines in advance how we're gonna respond. That is what it means to have a kingdom mindset. It means that Jesus's word gets to dictate how I live my life. That for me, loving Jesus, and now when I got saved and I entered into his kingdom, it means that Jessica is now a kingdom citizen before I am anything else. Before I am a female, before I am the color of my skin, before I am anything else, I am a kingdom citizen. And therefore, it has the ability to dictate how I am in every situation. Now, this is wonderful, but it is hard to do. This is that process of becoming more and more like Jesus. And sometimes it's hard because our, our, our mindset, our mindset that we had before we got saved is, it's, it's, it's kind of tough because it, it includes all of the traumas that we've experienced, the house we grew up in, the ideas we've gained from culture. It, it's all of those things combined. So how do we learn how to have a kingdom mindset? Well, we do it by looking at Jesus. If you're gonna have a kingdom mindset, you gotta look at the king, right? He's the one that gets to determine that. We do that by being in his word. Jesus, interestingly enough, has a lot to say about his kingdom. If you read through the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, he, will ha he says a lot about the kingdom of God because he knows that we have to we have to be transformed. So he's teaching us, he was teaching the disciples then and his followers then what his kingdom is like because he knows that it's foreign to us. In fact, the kingdom of God is referenced 30, it's referenced 53 times in the New Testament, 32 times in the book of Matthew alone as the kingdom of heaven. Now the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven, these are synonymous terms, although Matthew uses kingdom of heaven, a lot of theologians believe it's, it's meaning the same thing that we are now citizens of God's kingdom. And not only does Jesus teach us what his kingdom is like, he demonstrates it for us. If you wanna know how God feels about a topic, look at how Jesus lived. 
If you wanna know what God says when he says to love your enemies, look at how he lived. He hung out with tax collectors. He hung out with the, the religious leaders. He hung out with people he should have never been seen with. This is, this is, he's demonstrating it. And the reason why it was so crazy during his time was because it was the exact opposite of what religion was saying and for sure the world. And so we have to develop this kingdom mindset, which means that we have to assimilate to God's kingdom. We don't integrate, we assimilate. Integration means that we take what, what was, what we were and how we were, and we kind of mix that with what we're in now. But assimilation means we actually leave that old way and now we are in this and we're gonna learn this. I'd like to think of it as this. If I were to tell you today that I decided in three days I'm gonna move to Japan. I've always wanted to go there, I've always wanted to visit, and I'm just gonna do it. I'm gonna uproot my life and leave, and I'm gonna move there for three years. But I haven't really given myself a lot of time and space to kind of think through anything, so I'm just gonna go, and I'm just gonna hope for the best. Well, let me tell you what would happen, is that I would go and I could get in there, right? As long as I had the visas and all the things, right? Um, but the problem is I'm gonna be very limited in that space because I don't know the language and I don't know the culture and I don't know how people are, what the values are there. I'm gonna be limited. It's the same way for us. We're now kingdom citizens when we've received salvation, but now we have to know what is his kingdom about? And we do this by learning about our king. It's this beautiful journey that we go on. And so today, I thought if we're to have a kingdom mindset, because Jesus tells us, listen, my kingdom is not of this world. And all of us who have received salvation, you are now kingdom citizens, so it's important for us to have this mindset. And I would say it's probably extremely important to have this kind of mindset in a season like Christmas. Because if the statistics are true and 90% of us in this room are stressed out, right? then we need and maybe what could be the most helpful thing that we could do in this season is instead of trying to take things off the to-do list and, and move things around and just try to do better and like, you know, maybe it would be adopting a new mindset. And that's what I wanna talk to you today about. Because I believe that if we could go into the rest of these, this season in the next 15 days, if we could ask God to shift our mindset a little bit, I think this could be the best Christmas holiday season that you've ever experienced. I really do believe that. And although there are a ton of things that we can look at about what the kingdom of God is like, I have three that specifically we're gonna look at today. And these are three kingdom principles that I think could help us all in this season, okay? So the first kingdom principle that I think could be helpful in a season like Christmas is this idea of peace over anxiety. You know, that nine and 10 of us are stressed out, right? And what's interesting about that, um, that statistic is that it's not really shocking. If you, if you read a lot about where we're at in America in terms of mental health, anxiety disorders are the number one diagnosed mental health disorders in America. We are known for having so much of it. And if you, there's like um, studies that they do each year that rate like the countries who have like the best mental health and the worst. And America always is in the top of like, we're in decline. Because I work with a students a lot, I, you know, I'm always reading about Gen Z and they're saying right now, Gen Z one in four are diagnosed with anxiety disorders every day. It's, it's wild. And here's the thing, the Christmas season 
doesn't always actually bring the stress. What I think happens is, is that in a season like this, it just magnifies and exacerbates what's already there. And I wonder how many of us are walking around and if we're really honest, we're stressed out and we're worried and we have anxiety. And we don't really talk about it a whole lot because it feels like sometimes what's the point or it feels like you're so in your head, you don't know who to say it to. Can you be a good Christian and struggle with anxiety and worry and fear? Because if you read the Bible, you know, it's like, so then what happens is we just don't ever really talk about it. But then a season like this happens and there's so much expectation. There's so much on our plates. There's so much that we have to do. We're able to see other people and we compare. And what happens is what's already there that probably we've shoved down now is magnified great. And Jesus actually has a lot to say about anxiety and worry and fear. In fact, the kingdom principle that Jesus would tell us is that my kingdom is one of peace. It's one of peace. In fact, Jesus, he's teaching in Matthew 6. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. It's in 5, 6, and 7. It's one of the greatest sermons ever preached, and it's Jesus. And in this sermon, he's, he's preaching to his disciples and these followers. These people have gathered, and he's teaching about what his kingdom is like. And in Matthew 6, he starts to talk about how, how do you give to those who are in need. He's talking to them about fasting. He's talking to them about how you pray. And Jesus will end part of chapter six with this. I'm going to read chapter six, verses 35 through 34. He says, this is the words of Jesus. That is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you will have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns for your heavenly father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Can, can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing, yet Solomon in all of his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares, and if God cares so wonderfully for the wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? So don't worry about these things saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly father already knows all of your needs. So this is what he tells them. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry, will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. I love this passage Jesus is talking to me. This mean, it, they're beautiful words. He's talking to all of his disciples. This is what he's telling them. He's like, listen, don't worry. Some of you in here, you're so filled with worry and fear and doubt and anxiety and it's eating you alive in this season. And he's saying, why are you worried about these things? These are the things that are on the minds of people who are not in my kingdom. People who are far from me worry about these things, but don't you know who I am? If I will take care of the birds who don't have to, they're not storing up how they're gonna eat. I feed them and look at the lilies. Like they're not worried about if they're gonna be dressed and look how beautifully I dress them. And if I'm gonna do that for them, how much more will I do for you? You're my son and my daughter. 
He's saying, so why are you worried? Don't be worried. Don't be stressed out. And I wonder if Jesus today, for some of us, would say, look at you. You're worried about these gifts and how you're going to buy them. And is it enough? And are they going to like it? And I have to go to this party. Is my house clean enough? Are these people going to think this? Am I going to have to see them? And you're so worried about things. And I think Jesus is like, why are you worried about those things? Don't you know who I am? Like, of course I care about you. I care about that you're worried about that and stressed out about that. But those are, those are, that's for people who are not in my kingdom. When you're in my kingdom, you, you need to understand, I will take care of your needs. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to seek first my kingdom above all else. That is what he would say to us today. If you're in a season, if this season, if you're honest, it's bringing stress and anxiety and worry, I think Jesus' words to you today would be, seek my kingdom before you're worried about the gifts and the parties and all the things, seek me. Let me actually have rule and reign in this season. Let, let your mind be fixed on the fact that I am your savior and your Lord. And I came as a king, I died for you as a king and I am coming back for you as a king and I know what you need. That you can trust me fully. And I am your peace. That is what Jesus would say to us because that is who he is. Peace isn't something that he just gives. He is peace. You know how we know that? Is because Isaiah in chapter nine, he's prophesying of Jesus who is going to be born. All of us know this scripture. We played it this morning. But it, he says, and he will be called wonderful, counselor, ever, mighty God, everlasting father, and the prince of peace. That is who he is, he's coming. I know the world is groaning and waiting. That's what they were doing. They needed, their, they needed their king, their savior. They were waiting and he said, he's coming. And he is the prince of peace. He is what will steal your mind in this season. I love in Isaiah, Isaiah will later in chapter 26, he goes on to say, he will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are fixed on him because they put their trust in him. There is this concept of Jesus is our peace and as we fix our eyes on him, he actually, there's an exchange that happens. We, 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 we stop looking at the things of this world, the earthly things, right? The clothes and the food and the gifts and the parties and all that stuff and we fix our eyes squarely on him and as we do it, what he gives us in return is peace. Paul in the book of Philippians, in Philippians 4, he says, don't be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Then he goes on to say, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Jesus Christ. Peter will go on to say, give all your worries and cares to God because he cares about you. If we're gonna be kingdom citizens, then we have to know the character of our king. And the character of, character of our king is one, he is rooted in peace. He is faithful and trustworthy and true. He's a good father and he knows what you need. If you are finding yourself stressed out and anxious and worried in this season, then you fix your eyes. In everything that you do, you seek first his kingdom, first his rule, first of what he wants, 
And he says he's gonna, he's, gonna, he's gonna give you what you need. Now, it might not look how we wanted. It might not be in the time frame that we wanted, but we can trust that he is good and faithful. The second mindset, the second principle that I think of the kingdom that could help us in this season is this idea of forgiveness over bitterness. You know, the holiday season and starting in Thanksgiving to now is one in which one of the greatest parts of this season is that we get to gather with people, right? Whether it be friends or church family or your, actually biolo- or your actual biological family. And you know what's crazy about that? Is while that's one of the greatest aspects of it, if we're all honest, it's also one of the toughest challenging parts of this season. Because we all have those people in our life, right? In fact, I bet that there's a lot of text threads that are represented in this room and you have text threads in your family that other family members aren't a part of because it's like, don't invite Aunt Susan, you know? Like, it ain't, this is not, she's not invited this time. You know how she does or whatever. You know, it's like you can already think about, you can, it's like in your mind, you can go to that place of when that car, specific car pulls up in the driveway, the feelings that you're gonna feel. Because in a room this size, all of us probably have stories of the ways that our family and friends have hurt us. And to be quite honest, a lot of us in this room, it's valid. Maybe something has been done, has been said about you. Maybe that person doesn't even care, is never gonna apologize. They keep doing the same thing every time. They're always like this. They never apologize. They never consider how it affects everybody else. And it almost feels as if the whole family just has to put up with it. We just take it every single time. And what happens is over time, it creates this bitterness, this unforgiveness, this resentment in our hearts. And we try to stuff it down as much as possible, but it feels like the holiday season's really elevated, doesn't it? It magnifies it because now you actually have to be in the room with them. You can get away with it January through you know October, but now you have to be inside and have to talk to them. And I understand how this feels, I understand. I've had the, you know, similar situations in my own family. I know what it feels like to be driving in the holiday seasons to a place and thinking, I wish I could be anywhere else but here. Not because you don't love them, but because you know how it's gonna go. I think we all know how that feels probably. And it's easy to have this mindset where I'm just gonna stuff it down and grin and bear it. And what's happened is we actually have unforgiveness there. But Jesus also will tell us that his kingdom is marked by forgiveness. Because if you look back at that verse we talked about in Colossians 1.13, that verse 14 where it says we have been rescued out of the dominion of darkness and placed into the kingdom, into the son. And it says in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Paul is letting us know everything about this kingdom is marked by forgiveness. The way we're even able to enter into it is because we repent of our sins and God forgives us. This is what Jesus has to say about forgiveness because I can tell you this, that in his kingdom, unforgiveness, resentment, and bitterness is not an option. If we're gonna be kingdom citizens and have a kingdom mindset, then I can tell you that God wants you to forgive, even if it's hard and even if they don't deserve it. This is what he says in Matthew 18. Jesus is telling a story, a parable, and this is, this is how he says it. It's Matthew 18. He says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. In the process, one of his debtors was brought in and who owed him millions of dollars. 
He couldn't pay, so his master ordered that he be sold along with his wife, his children, and everything he owned to pay the debt. But the man fell down before his master and begged him, please be patient with me and then I will pay it all. Then his master was filled with pity for him and he released him and forgave his debt. But when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him just a few thousand dollars. He grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. His fellow servant fell down before him and begged for a little more time, be patient with me and I will pay it, he pleaded. But the creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested and put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. When some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. They went to the king and told him everything that had happened. And when the king called in the man he had forgiven and said, you evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. That is what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and your sisters from your heart. I don't know about you, but this story is incredibly shocking. And why it's shocking is because it's shocking how Jesus views unforgiveness in his kingdom. And we see here, Jesus is telling us this story and he's wanting to make us to make some connections with him. In this story, there are two different relationships happening. There is the king and the servant and then that same servant with another servant. And in the, the relationship with the king and the servant, we see that millions of dollars are owed. In fact, some theologians have done some calculations. If you were to calculate today's daily wage um, based on the kind of measuring they're doing, it could be upwards of $9 billion that this servant owed. It, the reality is Jesus used this number to communicate one thing. It was more than he could ever pay back. He knew that the servant could never pay back $9 billion dollars. That was the reason. And what Jesus is showing us here is that he represents the king in this story and we represent the servant. That our sin, that debt that we have, we could never do anything about it. You couldn't do enough good acts, you couldn't be awesome and say enough encouraging words, you couldn't go to church enough to ever pay back the debt that your sin cost. And yet Jesus came and he, he lived a sinless life and died on the cross for you and for me so that we could receive that salvation gift. And what Jesus is telling us here is what I forgave you is an insane amount. You can never pay it back. And what's hilarious here is the servant says, wait a minute, just give me some time, I'll pay it back. And the king knew you can never pay that back. And that's what it is like for us. We've been forgiven so much. But then this same servant goes out and he holds this other servant. He kind of takes him because this other servant has borrowed money from him. And if you do the calculations, it says thousands of dollars in this passage. Some of the calculations that theologians believe if the, the king and the servant was nine billion, they believe this one would have been about $15,000. Here's the deal, $15,000 is significant. I don't know about you, but that's significant. But what Jesus is saying, although $15,000 is significant, it's nothing when you compare it to 9 billion. And that's how Jesus sees this. So we don't really have an option. We're called to forgive every single time. And in fact, 
this kingdom mindset would be one in which we are predetermined when we go in because of Jesus's kingdom and what he says that before it even happens, before they even make the comment, before they even walk in and complain, before they even do whatever it is that they always do, that we have decided ahead of time that we're going to have an attitude and a disposition based on what God says about his kingdom that no matter what happens, we're gonna decide in advance that we're gonna be people who forgive. This is actually the mindset that Jesus wants us to have in this season. And you know what I think? I think if you could go into this season with this mindset, you could actually live in freedom. That you might could have the best Christmas season that you've ever had because you've let go of the resentment and the bitterness and you can have joy unspeakable. I believe that's what God wants us to have. And this last principle uh, that Jesus, that I think is important for us to have in terms of having a kingdom mindset is this principle of the eternal over the temporary. Here's the deal. So much of this season is so measured by stuff, isn't it? If we're not careful, what can happen is, is that this, it's so commercialized and it's, it can be all about the gifts and the giving and the receiving. And let me just say this, the gifts aren't bad. Gifts in and of themselves, they're, they're not bad. But what happens is, is that we could spend for forever trying to find the perfect gifts for everybody, wrapping them perfectly. We could make the best list of all the things we wanted because if we know we could just go get those things that we would finally feel good about our lives. And what can happen is, how many of you know this? Like Christmas morning, everybody opens up the gifts and in three minutes flat, it's like, well, here we are in a graveyard of wrapping paper. (laughs) And I feel no different than I did 10 minutes ago. I mean, how many of you remember being a kid and thinking if I could just get that one thing, that one toy, and if I did, I would be changed forever. I would always be entertained and I would love it. And then you get the gift and the next day you're like, I'm bored. Because what can happen is, is we can get so focused on the temporary stuff that we forget that that stuff isn't meant to fulfill us and it's definitely not lasting but that in God's kingdom, what he's asking us time and time again to remember is, is don't get wrapped up in the temporary things that you can see. What matters most is the things that you can't see, it's the things that will last for all eternity. Don't get it twisted. In Matthew 25, Jesus is actually talking about his kingdom and he starts sharing the story and he says, he said one day the, the son of man will come and he will be enthroned. He's talking about himself, he's gonna come and he's gonna sit on a throne. He said, and what he's going to do is, is he's going to separate the sheep from the goat. The sheep he's gonna put on his right side, the goat he's gonna put on the left. And he said, I will say to those on my right, the sheep, I will say, welcome, welcome into the kingdom that was prepared for you. And he's gonna say to them, for when I was hungry, you fed me. And when I was thirsty, you gave me water. And when I was lonely, you invited me in. When I was sick, you took care of me. When I was in prison, you visited me. He's gonna say, well done, welcome into this kingdom. And he says that the sheep are gonna say to him, Lord, we never saw you hungry or thirsty. We never saw you as a stranger and we never saw you in a prison. And he says to them, you're right. And this is what he says. He says in verse 40, the king will reply, truly I tell you, Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Jesus is telling us that his kingdom is about the things that you cannot see. 
We get so wrapped up in, you know, like I, it's, it's all about the things that we see, especially in this season. It's about the gifts and the parties and the whatever it can be. And Jesus is saying, don't miss, don't miss what, what can be in this season. Because if all you're looking for is the stuff, you're gonna find it, but it's gonna leave you empty because you were never supposed to be looking for it anyways. Paul in 2 Corinthians says, we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Here's what I'm gonna tell you. Don't get wrapped up in all the stuff and yourself and all the things and forget that there is a very real world that's waiting out here for us who don't understand, they have no concept of Jesus being king in their life and in this season. And if the 90% of us in this room would say, hey, we can feel stressed out at, at Christmas, imagine how people who are living far from him are feeling. I can't even imagine that. And we have people all in our communities and in the world and in our state and in our country who are in need. And I think what happens is we pass by it so much, especially in this season, we don't even think about it. We're so busy with our to-do list and our plans and the parties and all the things that we have to do, we forget that there's real need here in our backyard. We were, in November, several weeks ago, we actually went to Mexico again. We took 31 people here and we went down to Ensenada, back to the orphanage that we had been into, uh, we had been to previously. And then we went up into Tijuana and we did a house build and it was a really awesome time, I did a great team. And I asked her if I could share this and she said that I could. But what struck me on this trip so much wasn't necessarily what we saw, although it's incredible poverty, unlike anything you could possibly imagine. It's so easy there to recognize all the things that, we, that we're looking at that mean nothing. Like, I, I, like the thought of like Christmas gifts in light of building a house for a family that had nothing and was sleeping on land is just, it doesn't even compare. But while we were there, um, Miss Luana Baker actually came on this trip. And I don't know if many of you know Miss Luana, but in this last year, she's, it's been a very tough year for her. She lost her husband to cancer, Mr. Kenneth, who came here as part of our tech team, an awesome, awesome man of God. And this season has been really tough for her. It has been one where she has been grieving as you can imagine. And I wonder how easy it would have been for Miss Lawana to focus on the things that you can see. It would have been so easy for her to think, well, this season is gonna be hard because my husband's not here, on all these temporary things. And to be able to go to Mexico and watch her love and serve people was actually one of the most beautiful things I've ever witnessed that in the middle of her grief and her pain and her sorrow and her anxiety and worry and fear, she took a week off from work to go and serve some people, some orphans who have nothing and a family who was living on land because they couldn't afford a house. And I watched her paint sheetrock and hammer things and put window installations in and I never saw her complain. And I wonder if we're focused on the wrong thing, we will miss it. We'll miss it. I think about Jennifer Petey, she came on that trip. And her and her sister had planned to go on a trip to Fiji, actually, um, right after they were planning it and whatever. And we were in Mexico building this house. And she got on the phone with her sister right there and was like, hey, listen, I don't think we can go to Fiji. 
I think we need to come build a house. There are people who need homes. And her sister was like, okay, okay, I can do that. Yeah, they're like changing their whole trip, a trip that was gonna be about them and their pleasure and vacation and relaxing, which isn't bad. But when we're missing what, what, when we're going after what is temporary over what is eternal, we will miss the gift that God has for us in it. And here's the deal. You do not have to go to Mexico to experience that in this season. In fact, this week I was preparing for this message and getting ready for it. And I had gone to a local coffee shop in town in Evans. And I was standing there uh, getting ready to order and wasn't really paying attention. The woman in front of me was taking a, l- a little long and but I really wasn't worried or bothered. And um, all of a sudden, one of the girls behind the counter, I could tell she was kind of getting antsy. She looked at me and she was like, I'm so sorry this is taking so long. I can help you. And I just kind of looked and I was like, no, I'm, I'm not in a rush, like no worries, you know? So it made me just stop to think because before then I just wasn't paying attention. And I noticed that the woman in front of me, she was an older lady and she was there with her grandchild and her grandchild was running all around. She was so excited because they bought like sandwiches and I think she bought her like a cake pop or I don't know, and they were waiting on coffees. And this grandmother was actually pulling out change. I mean, she was paying in like coins. And I heard her say to the cashier, well, can I do a split payment? Can you take this change? And then I'll, I'll, put the, I'll try to put the rest on this credit card. And the guy was like, okay. And he kind of begrudgingly did it. And so she went to go, so the guy went to go swipe the card. And when he did, he kind of looked at her and he was like, it's declined. And the little girl's like running around. She's so excited to be there. And this grandmother, you could just tell, she just is like, I don't know what to do. And so I just happened to be there and I was like, no, no, no. I was like, I got it actually. I was like, I love it. I love your granddaughter's so fun. She was like, she's having a blast. Like, I'll get it. The woman was like, are you sure? Are you sure you wanna do that? And I'm like, yes, absolutely. Don't even worry about it. It's not even a big deal. And the people behind the counter were like making it a big deal. Like, are you sure? I'm like, just like my card, you know? And, um, and I think like, how many people are we walking by every day who just need Jesus? You know, they're struggling. They're struggling financially too. Can you imagine what the Christmas season must be like for people who are far from him? Having to navigate, do I have enough to buy? And I think it would have been really easy for me to walk past her and never notice her. And let me tell you something, this is not about like, I'm so great, I didn't pay attention to her if I'm quite honest. But I just wonder what would happen in this Christmas season if instead of focusing on me and what I want and what would make me happy and what I'm getting and the gifts and all the things which aren't necessarily bad, but if we said, God, give me eyes to see the things that are unseen. Give me eyes. I promise you, God will show you. And imagine what we could do if we did that. Imagine what the kingdom of God would be like because as kingdom citizens, we are the visible representation of what his kingdom is like to the world. What would it be like if we all decided to do it? But it takes effort because we have to have that mindset. It means that we have to go in every day and we have to say, God, show me today, I'm gonna seek first your kingdom. Every interaction, you have rule and reign in it. Show me people who need to see you. Help me to have conversations. Help me to be able to be generous where I can. And I promise you, it will do something for you that will outlast any gift you could ever get in this season. I promise you that. I want you to stand as we close. And I wanna pray for you. And I think, you know, 
a message like this, just like any other message that we have here, it's only as good as we're willing to, to put it into practice, to put it into action into our life. And so the question for you today is, would you say that you are living with a kingdom mindset in this season? Or would you say, if you're really honest right now, life feels really dominated by anxiety and worry and fear. That has the majority of my mental space right now. Or maybe you'd sit here and you'd say, actually, I know that I'm harboring unforgiveness and bitterness and resentment. I'm, I'm, I'm dreading some family interactions. It's, it's really, I don't wanna have them. It's, it, it's affecting this season for me. I'm not able to focus on Jesus and him being king and being born. Or maybe you're sitting here and you're thinking, if I'm honest, I have been so focused on all this stuff that I haven't even considered whether or not Jesus would have, want me to be, do something in his kingdom in this season. Whatever that is, today I'm gonna ask you to pray and ask God to help you get a kingdom mindset, one in which it is fixed. It's fixed on him and you know before you even enter into the situation, you know exactly how you're gonna be, how you're gonna respond, what you're gonna say because you know. And if you're in this room and maybe you've never accepted Jesus into your life and you're like, I've listened to all you said, if I'm honest, he's not king of my life. It's the greatest decision that you could ever make. And if you haven't done that, we would love to pray for you. We have leaders that will be here afterwards. I would love to pray for you. But for the majority of us, we need to ask the Lord to help him give us a kingdom mindset. So let's pray. Lord, we love you so much. God, you're so good and you're so faithful. And Lord, we ask you right now, Lord, would you, would you do what only you can do in our hearts and our minds, Lord? God, maybe for some of us, we're sitting in this room and we're so filled with anxiety and worry and stress that our minds have gone to really bad places where we have completely, we are missing the fact that you came as a king and died as a king, that we're missing it because we're just so worried about all these things. Lord, would you help us, Lord, to have the peace that only comes from you, the peace that passes all understanding. Lord, help keep our eyes fixed on you, Jesus. Lord, maybe for some of us in here, maybe we're struggling through unforgiveness. Maybe it's real. There are some family relationships, some friend relationships, God, and we need you to restore and Lord, to help us to forgive. Would you help us do it? Would we make the decision now that if we're gonna be in your kingdom, we're gonna be people who forgive? Or Lord, maybe for some of us, we just need you to redirect, Lord, like in every place where we have made the temporary things it, would you help redirect us, Jesus? God, may we see and live for the things that will bring eternal reward. We love you so much, God, you're so good. And Lord, I pray that this season, this holiday season, God would be one of freedom. It would be one of joy. God, it would be one of peace. We love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen.